Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. I'm excited to be here with my colleague, Paul Stages. He is a CFP, a CDFA, and a CPWA. It's a mouthful. Paul, it's great to have you here. I've been lucky enough to work with Paul directly for now about a decade here at Francis Financial and one of our top matrimonial and divorce experts, really with a specialty focusing on financially complex divorces. It's great to have you here, Paul, and I'm excited about today. Thank you, Stacey. Happy to be here. Nice, nice. So we are going to take you through lots of great information too. I'll give you a little background on me. I'm Stacey Francis. I started the firm, well, I feel old saying this about 19 years ago, and we love the work that we do. We work primarily with women going through divorce and helping them make great decisions through that process to make sure that you come out on the other side as financially secure as possible, something that you deserve, that your family deserves. And so we are here. And again, like I said, we're going to talk to you about the do's and don'ts before, during, and after divorce, a lot of information. So let's go ahead and get started and jump into what we're doing here today. We've got a full docket of things that we're going to be going through today. We're going to talk about why particularly as a woman, being financially knowledgeable is so important for you. We're also going to talk about the steps that you need to think about before divorce. If you're thinking about divorce, what are those steps you can take to prepare to make sure that you're set up for success? Mistakes that we see over and over again during the divorce process and also afterwards. What are the things that you can do to rebuild your life? Uh, We're going to talk about particularly as women, why this is so important. And of course, resources. We are here as a resource for you, but we also have many other resources to make sure that you get through this process as healthy, as whole, and as financially sound as possible. So why is being financially knowledgeable so important? This is something that is really close to my heart. For women, the road through divorce actually has a lot of financial obstacles. And It comes down to the income that was once supporting one household is now having to support two. And divorce, unfortunately, disproportionately harms women more so than men. And we're going to talk about why that is. But my grandmother knew that. And she saw that her friends who got divorced, many of them really struggled financially. That frightened her. And it kept her in a financially abusive, physically abusive marriage. She felt trapped. And what our goal here today is to help you overcome that. And on the next slide, you'll see some of the headwinds that we have as women, but we're also going to talk to you how you can overcome them. For most women, after a divorce, their income drops. It drops significantly. For our male counterparts, interestingly enough, over time, their income actually goes up. And for us to maintain that same standard of living, our income, even though it's dropped, it really needs to have increased by 30%. Why is this? Well, our expenses are higher. It takes much more money to, of course, support two households. But for women, our 
unique challenge is that often we have a lower earning capability. We've been out of the workforce, taking care of children, possibly taking care of parents. And according to the women leadership gap, we still only make 78 cents for every one cent that a man makes. So it makes it harder for us to rebound, but it doesn't mean that we can't do that. And it doesn't mean that you can't do that. And unfortunately, another statistic out there is that three out of four divorced mothers don't receive their full payments for child support mm. that they're due based on their agreement. And so that's why it's it's also really important. Part of that can't be controlled, but what can be controlled is how much you actually know that you are going to need for child support going into your divorce. And looking at, especially if you've got really little ones at home, to know how much are their expenses right now, and also how much are their expenses going to be going forward. So you think about two buckets, really, for child support. There's your basic expenses, and that's those are things that you think about that each and every one of us needs to survive. That's housing, that's food, and that's clothing. And then there are what's called add-on expenses. And it's literally everything else, which can be very sizable, of course. Think private school tuition before college, including college, extracurricular activities, summer camps, unreimbursed medical expenses. So these are things that, especially if you are the spouse who is earning less and you think you're going to be eligible for, for child support, that you really want to make sure that you are getting down on a piece of paper all of the different expenses that you anticipate needing to help support your child for years to come. And so that goes hand in hand with one of the steps that we're going to talk about that we recommend doing before the divorce process kicks off. And so it's three key steps that we'll talk about. There's number one, getting educated. Number two, establishing your own financial identity. And then there's building your team, having that network that's really going to support you. I mean, if there's one time in life that you're going to need a strong team around you, it's going to be during this difficult process. And while Paula's going through this, I just want to jump in too and use us as a resource. I get that divorce is not easy, but when you're talking about divorce and money, it can really be a little complex, which is totally fine. That's why we're here. So use us as a resource. Yes, definitely. Thank you for that, Stacey. And so getting educated, what does that mean? You know, it doesn't mean that you necessarily need to become a certified financial planner or divorced financial analyst like us, but it's really about getting familiar and taking a deep dive on everything that touches your money. And for better or for worse, you're going to have to go through this exercise during the divorce process where it's getting very familiar and comfortable with what are your current expenses and what might they be going forward? What is your income right now? And we'll talk about that in a little bit. What accounts do you and your soon-to-be ex-spouse have? And what other assets and liabilities do you to own? And so all of these things are actually most likely going to be listed out, or you're going to have to work with your attorney to list them out in a financial legal document. In New York, it's called a statement of net worth, where you list out exactly all of these things, your expenses, your income, and your various assets. So with your expenses, it's looking at maybe the last couple of years of credit card statements and bank account statements, looking at how much it costs to either continue renting or owning your home, looking at the expenses for your children if they're still young, 
for your income. If you're working, it's your paycheck. If you also have other income sources, like a, a, a business or investments, it's looking at your tax return should have that information. So working with your accountant to help figure out what is your income from all of these various sources. What kind of accounts do you have? And this is going to matter big time when it comes to negotiating and having an offer of these are the accounts I want to keep or percentage of accounts versus what your spouse is going to keep. And so if you know, look at bank accounts, look at credit card accounts, get various investment accounts, retirement accounts, you can even do a nice sweep of everything to make sure you haven't missed anything by running a credit report. And Stacey will talk about that in a little bit. That's a great way to catch anything that you might have lost track of. And other assets that are going to be important, cars, private collections, jewelry, artwork. So taking detailed notes of how much was it bought for, when was it bought, and a good idea of how much these things are valued. Because the more you know of all of these different moving pieces, the more educated and confident you're going to be when it comes time to negotiate. Yeah, you bring up a great point. And you talk about education and you know, I know you talk about this to clients as well. A dollar that might be worth in a checking account is worth a different amount than a dollar that would be in a brokerage account versus a dollar that you mm -hmm. would see in your 401k. And it really comes down to taxes. And something can look as if you have an equal equitable settlement, but after taxes, you could be walking away with 40% less. And a good mm -hmm. example yeah, a dollar in your checking account, you can take it out. There's no taxes due. You spend it as you wish. But if you take a dollar out of your 401k or your your IRA, Uncle Sam is there and you're going to pay federal, state, possibly local income taxes if you're in New York City or, or somewhere out in California. And then Social Security and Medicare, you could be saying goodbye to 40 cents. And mm -hmm. instead of that dollar being a dollar, as you saw in your checking account, it's now only worth 60 cents in your pocket. And, you know, who else would ever want to take a 40% haircut on something, let alone having it go to the government and go towards taxes? So yeah, I agree with you is, is really key. And I love that you bring up the credit report. And I feel like you're the king of credit reports, actually. I feel like you eat credit reports for breakfast. But credit reports are really important. And there's a, a lot in there. And it can be quite lengthy. But going through and just making sure that the accounts look right. Make sure that all the accounts are recognizable to you, that there's nothing there that looks odd, that the accounts that you do have, that if there is a balance, that that makes sense. But we have found certain individuals where accounts have been opened in their name that they didn't know about, or an account that they share with their spouse that unfortunately has significant amounts of debt. And actually, one of the first times I was ever on TV, this was 16 years ago, because I remember I was pregnant with Sebastian. And Sebastian is now 15. And I was on the Today Show in the plaza where they have that outdoor plaza, Rockefeller mm -hmm. Plaza, with a woman that we worked with pro bono to help her. And her husband had racked up over $100,000 in credit card debt during their marriage. She had no idea. And unfortunately, she had to pay it off. Even though he was the one who racked up and created that awful liability, that awful debt that haunted her, she ended up having to pay for it. He declared bankruptcy. And because she, her name, her name was on that credit card, 
Visa went after her and it didn't matter that they had a divorce agreement that in that divorce agreement said that he was going to pay it off. Visa cares about their contract. And when you have a credit card with them, that's the contract that stands and they went after her. And FYI, she's doing great. She has a fully stocked 401k emergency fund and, and everything. But Paul, it took her, it took her years to really years to recover. So this is a, a step you don't want to forget. You don't want to not check your credit report. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think that your spouse might do something nefarious like that or open up accounts, fraudulent accounts in your name, you can always consider freezing your credit. I know personally that's mm-hmm. something I've done for myself and it's worked you know, so far beautifully where I haven't had any fraudulent accounts open up in my name. And it's easy enough to temporarily lift that credit freeze for if you want to do something like open up a credit card in your own name so that if there's any concern also of a spouse draining out a joint bank account, not having access to cash to pay your divorce attorney or you know even just your groceries while all of these things are being settled out, that's going to be very important. And Paul, you touched upon this when we started off of building your support team. We did an exhaustive survey of women going through and after divorce all across the country and asked them over 100 questions. And one of them was about their team. And something that really shocked us is that the majority of them felt like they didn't have enough support. 60% of the women responded and said that they wished that they had had a therapist or some type of mental health professional or coach to help them through the process. And 64%, even more than that, said that they wished that they had had a financial advisor, ideally a certified divorce financial analyst, that that person really would have been helpful. But interestingly enough, only a third actually had a financial advisor even to to talk to or ask questions. So putting together your team is really key. And of course, it's your matrimonial attorney or, or mediator, but it's also making sure that you have the right financial advisor, the right mental health professional. And what can a financial advisor do for you? Well, could do a lot. And many of the study participants wished that they had a financial advisor to talk to about college planning, how to prepare and what their role should be and what their spouse's role should be, what their income needed to look like, what they were entitled to for spousal support and child support, essentially learning how to get on top of their finances with regards to investments. Many times the investments that they had as a married couple It was like trying to wear your ex-husband's pants. They don't fit. Well, most likely your investment portfolio probably doesn't necessarily fit for your new goals going forward. So there are so many pieces, but women have come to us and said over and over again that what they really want from a financial advisor is a financial roadmap. Where I am today, where I'm going to go out to age 95 and all the steps that need to happen in between to get there. Yeah, and so... It's obviously a great foundation to have set up going through the steps that we just talked about. And then once the rubber hits the road, it's making sure that you're working with that team that you've built out to progress towards your goals and how you want your life to look coming out on the other side of the divorce. So it's sometimes not even about doing something, but really avoiding some things and some of these mistakes. So we'll we'll talk about three big mistakes that we want to make sure that everyone avoids, which is not deciding financial issues just one at a time in a vacuum of one another. That can sound a little confusing and a little counterintuitive, and we'll talk more about that in a second. 
You also want to make sure that you don't fail to address unsecured debts. So Stacy already talked about, unfortunately, that tragic story of the woman that Stacy helped get out of that issue. And then, of course, you want to plan, right? So you don't want to make the mistake of not planning. And so part of that plan is looking at all of the different moving pieces as one whole picture and not focusing on just how much do I want to keep of the investment accounts. I want to stay in the home. I want to keep the majority of the retirement accounts, all of these different things. Stacey touched on it. Every asset that you have can fall into a different bucket of how tax sensitive it is, how liquid it is, meaning how quickly you can turn it into cash, what kind of growth prospect does it have over time. And so having a balance of all of these different assets and income sources is going to be important because the goal is really to have enough resources to meet your expenses and the expenses of your loved ones, especially your children over the long term. And so an example of this is if you have uh, an attachment to the marital home and you bought it 20 years ago with your soon-to-be ex, you bought it for $500,000, let's say, in a great real estate market, it's valued at $2 million today. You love this home. It's where your children are continuing to grow up and the expenses are somewhat reasonable. Well, you would want to make sure that if you do stay in this home and you buy your spouse out of their portion of it, that you have other assets that are going to help cover the expenses or that you have enough income from either Mm -hmm. assets that you keep or from your own employment that you are able to keep that home for a long time. Because what might happen is if you don't have enough of these other income sources and other assets, and the home gets too expensive and you need to sell it in a few years, well, then you'll get hit with taxes on that growth of that $500,000 that you bought it for to the $2 million that you might be able to sell it for. So that's just one example. It could be complicated. And that's where working with a certified divorce financial analyst, along with your legal team, makes sense to really digest and look at how all of these things really interact with one another. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting too is that it's not always a yes or no. Yes, you can do this or no, you can't. There are all these different levers of, okay, maybe you can stay in the home for the next eight years and then need to sell and downsize. But making sure that that growth, that $1.5 million in growth that you're gonna have to pay taxes on, that if you know that you're eventually gonna sell, that that comes into the divorce negotiation because you shouldn't be solely responsible for having to pay taxes. And each state is a little different on how we we treat this, but at least having that part of that conversation, the tax piece. And that's the piece that a lot of people forget is they forget what things look like after tax. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so failing to... uh, (laughs) to talk about unsecured deaths. And and I'm going to go back to the Today Show and the amazing woman that I talked about. And I just have to tell you, that day was her turning point. Sharing her story made her feel so powerful to be able to help other women. And she was so proud. She had actually three generations of her family in Rockefeller Center Plaza listening to her story. And I still have women who come back that 
saw that clip that say, thank you for sharing that. It helped protect me to make sure that I wasn't taken advantage of. And those unfortunately were, gave them the confidence that they could get through this. So again, make sure that you strategize in your divorce. If there is any type of debt, who is responsible for paying it off? And if it's a credit card, know that even if you put in the divorce agreement that your spouse is responsible, ultimately whoever's name is on that card is responsible. And if you are, well, you're responsible. Same thing with IRS debt. If it's debt from a joint tax return and your name was on that joint tax return and you owe the IRS money, well, they don't really care what your divorce settlement says. And it can be very sticky. So again, getting very clear about that. And the ideal is to try and have as many of those debts cleared up and down to zero before you start your new life. And not planning. I will tell you, I am a planner and I... I think it's a good trait, but I will tell you that my children sometimes tell me, okay, mom, you got to stop. You can't plan everything in life, but I feel like you can plan a whole lot. And so the best thing you can do is try to plan ahead. And there's a few things I wanted to talk about in particular, where we see over and over and over again, mistakes. And the first one are pension accounts. It might be a 401k. It might be a defined benefit pension that you have. And you can't split it. And often you'll see in the agreement, he gets 50% of her 401k, she keeps the other 50%, and that's it. That cannot happen. You have to do what's called a quadro, qualified domestic relations order. And this is really important to understand so that you can do the proper planning ahead of time and don't find yourself with a settlement agreement that you give to the employer that they say, sorry, this doesn't work. The same thing with health insurance. Health insurance is more important than all ever. We know how expensive medical expenses can be. And if you are currently on your spouse's health insurance, you're going to find yourself at a point where you don't have insurance unless you elect to have what's called COBRA. COBRA is available to companies who have typically 20 employees or more. And it allows you to stay on that same health insurance for about 36 months. But there are some downsides. And the downside is that that insurance is most likely pretty darn expensive. Plus, you have to pay a admin cost of usually about 2% on top. So it may not be the best health insurance for you. So take a look at the, all the other options out there. And also changing ownership of accounts. Remember that after you have your settlement agreement and what you think of your divorce is done, it's not necessarily done. The account that might be in your husband's name that needs to go into your name, well, that has to happen. And a big mistake we see over and over again are assets that are never transferred to the new owner's name. And they sit and they languish and sometimes even are forgotten about. And there's some types of assets I talked about, 401ks, that can't just be split. There are others like restricted stock units, stock options that you cannot split. They have to stay in the name of your spouse. And once they vest, then they can be transferred to you. So again, talking to your financial team and really thinking through all of these different unique situations to make sure that you're not surprised by anything that can be divided or necessarily can't be divided. And that's getting a jump start on the things that you'll have to do once 
all the ink has dried on that agreement. So definitely uh, good pointers there, Stacey. Yeah. And so one of the things to think about as you rebuild your finances, any joint accounts that you had with your spouse, it most likely is a pretty darn good idea to essentially remove your name or remove his name. Whoever is meant to own that account, make sure it's just solely their name on it. And also with your budget, your budget when you are married is going to be different than your budget now that you're on your own. And it's going to be very different post-COVID. So very important. And I will tell you the number one factor that determines whether someone's going to have a financially secure life, it's actually not their assets. It's not even their income. It's how much they spend and if they spend appropriately for the amount that they get in income and assets. That is the number one factor. So it's the number one thing you should be doing. And that emergency account is important for you now more than ever. And that's three to six months of your living expenses. Now it's you. You're making all the financial decisions and you don't necessarily have someone to fall back on if there's a financial emergency. And that emergency could be losing a job, needing to replace your car, replace your boiler, and you don't want to fall back on credit cards. Visa, MasterCard, and American Express don't love you. And they're not going to be there with a beautiful safety net to help you along. They'll be there to take your debt and also charge you interest rates of 20% or more. And as I talked about your risk tolerance, you may have been able to take on significant risk as a married couple with lots of income coming in, but you may not have that same capability you on your own with a finite nest egg that needs to last you for the rest of your life. So reassess if that risk that you had in your previous portfolio with your husband, maybe you had 80% stocks and 20% bonds, if that's appropriate for you, because it may not be. It may not be. And finally, make sure that you invest your assets. One of the biggest mistakes we see women make is doing what we think is safe, and that is keeping far too much money in cash, far beyond that three to six months of those living expenses and not getting our money working for us. And we as women, as I mentioned before, our portfolios have to actually work harder even than our male counterparts because it has to last longer, we live much longer, and also our expenses in retirement, well, they're also higher. They're also higher. Yeah, so taking a deeper dive into each one of these very important steps, I think, Stacey, you've done a great job of mentioning why it's so important to cancel any joint accounts, retitle assets. So I want to emphasize more over here, points three and five. They go hand in hand. Your estate plan sounds very fancy. What that is, is you're just making sure that your will, your last will and testament, that that is updated and that you have other important documents like that reviewed by an estate attorney. So it would be what would have happened had you passed away yesterday? who would receive your assets if you end up in the hospital and who is going to make medical decisions for you, who is going to make financial decisions for you while you might be incapacitated for some period of time. So making sure that you meet with an estate attorney to review those very important documents, because far too often we'll meet with people who just finished their divorce they haven't updated those documents. Their ex-spouse is still the one who is legally inheriting everything based on their old will. Or if we look at the point number three of changing your beneficiary, your accounts, and a lot of times it's retirement accounts, so account 401k accounts that you might have through work, 
they've asked you to list out a primary beneficiary. So what that would mean is that if you passed away yesterday, that this person that you designated receives all of that money. And many times, states by default will say that it's your spouse, or you might have just written it in there. And until you remove that person, they're going to be the ones who will inherit that money. And so you definitely don't want that to happen. If you have really small children too, you don't necessarily want them to inherit this outright. Could be that you first want to put it into a trust and have people that you rely on and that you trust to make financial decisions for your children if you weren't around to be designated on there. And something to note is that the benefit these account beneficiaries supersede what's written in the will. So you want to make sure that all of that is aligned because that would be yeah. a huge mistake uh, after going through all of the trouble of divorce to then leave everything to your ex-spouse. Yeah, that gives me a shudder. And, you know, <laughs> I think the challenge is, is there's just so many moving pieces and there's so many pieces of paper. You know, it's one of those things that can easily slip through, slip through the cracks, but it's really imperative and really important. And, you know, leaving money, you know, eventually it's going to be you now and you want your assets to to flow to your children. And you bring up a great point about making sure that it goes to a trust, at least while they're still minors. Because I know if, if I pass away, my son would be using it for video games for his Steam account. And my daughter loves doing indoor skydiving, which is great, but that's where all her money would go. And they'd probably forget about college. So really important and really key to make sure that you have it set up all right. Every single person coming through the divorce process and afterwards needs to review their estate plan. Definitely need to. And we talked a little bit about spending. I'm going to give you a couple rules of thumb about spending and saving. So we typically say that you should be saving about 15% of your income. There are some numbers that go up as high as 20%. And I know that that is a huge number. And every situation is different. So, you know, when we're doing our planning, we actually are writing a detailed financial plan with down to what someone might be spending in their Starbucks and what their investment rate of return, inflation, and when, you know, to when they're going to live, you know, our little crystal ball. But that gives you a little bit of an idea with, with your spending, ideally you can save 15%. So if that's not happening, you need to reevaluate your spending. And it could be very much that you're spending too much. And if you're having to take money out of your portfolio, let's say you're actually in retirement and you're taking money out of your portfolio and there isn't really an income except for maybe social security, the number that we often will use that works is that you shouldn't be withdrawing more than 4% of that portfolio on an annual basis. That typically allows that portfolio to be there for 30 years or so. Again, everyone is different in the way you invest your portfolio is going to impact that. How long are you going to live is going to impact that. So, you know, having a financial roadmap is really key, but these are some interesting ballpark measures of thinking about spending and thinking about saving what that should look like. Yeah. And in that same vein, once you know what your spending is, then tying it to that all important emergency fund that Stacy mentioned earlier, where you want to have a certain amount of cash in the bank in case something happens. And I think 2020 was a great example of in case something happens you yeah, know, where yeah. you might lose your job for some time, there might be some high unexpected expenses. And it's really important to have that cash reserve so that then you can comfortably invest for the long term 
in your portfolio? We talked a little bit about investments and having the right risk and the right types of investments, but I also really want to talk about, you know, there really should be, you should be looking at your investments of, of buckets of like your short-term money you need in, in the short-term time frame, money that you might need in the more intermediate, which is like five to 10 years, and then money that's more like the long-term that you would need in 10 years plus. Looking at those different buckets and starting to parcel out, if I'm going to buy a home in the next five years, well, that needs to be invested extremely conservatively, and that's mostly going to be in bonds. Something that I might need in that five to 10 year time frame, I can have some stocks in there, but it might only be 30% stocks or 40% stocks. And then we look at the long term, the long term, that 10 years plus, that might be where you feel more comfortable to be able to take some of that risk and have exposure of 60% stocks. Some of our clients even go up to 70% stocks. But really, when you're thinking about your investing, not only the, the risk of the overall portfolio, but when you need your money, and that helps, again, you decide, how should I invest it, that mixture between stocks and bonds, which I know you're going to be talking about right now. <laughs> That's right. And so this slide just gives an example of what Stacy talked about, where it's exactly that. It's tying it to the length of time that you're going to need to access this money. Because again, going back to 2020, if we think about what the stock market in particular was doing in February and in March, it was mostly going down. And so if you had invested money that you needed to pull out within a year, let's say in 2019, and you knew that you wanted to buy a home in 2020, it wouldn't have been so wise to be invested in this more aggressive type of portfolio. Because then if you wanted to buy a home in the spring of 2020, and you go to pull money out that you invested, all of a sudden, it might be less than what you put in initially. Where if we're talking about very long-term goals like retirement, that's something where many of our clients, they'll take this kind of risk with it because what feels like a, a huge drop in the moment, because it really is, once you zoom out over several years and maybe even decades, it's just a little blip on the radar. So you want to think about very consciously, what's the length of time where I'm going to need mm -hmm. this money? So you know, college funding is another example where for many of our clients, we don't invest their children's college funds the same way we help them invest their retirement funds. And then of course, having that foundation of making sure you have enough cash in your bank accounts as well to meet any short-term cash need. And talking about resources, it's a perfect segue. We have some great links to our divorce checklist. What are the things that you need to do to prepare for divorce and make sure that you have information on? We have a, a link to our divorce guide for, for all of you as well, a great resource to help you. And we created a beautiful white paper. I mentioned it before that we interviewed hundreds and hundreds of women across the US and asked them, what would you tell your girlfriend that you did right through your divorce? And what would you tell your girlfriend that maybe you made a mistake on? And we also have a great risk tolerance cal calculator here. Paul talked a lot about different portfolios for different buckets of time, but a lot of it comes down to what risk can you handle? What risk can you handle? And this calculator helps you answer those questions and figure out which of those buckets is, you know, is right for you. So Paula and I are super excited to have been here today. I have to say that my, my favorite part of my job is meeting with people like you 
hearing about your financial situation, finding out what questions you have and starting to tackle and figure out those answers for you and uh, really helping you understand here you are today getting out to age 95. What are the steps we need to take? What does your portfolio need to look like? And how can we get you on a path to financial security? And, and that's, what, that's what we're here for. So please reach out to us, Stacy at Francis Financial, Paul at Francis Financial. Thanks so much. Have a great day. And we will be seeing you in two weeks. <laughs>